Well, good morning. It is a delight to be with the Houghton Wesleyan Church in this community. It's meant so much to me and my family through the years, and just to be back with you today is a joy. As I share, bring greetings from the other churches of the Western New York District, it is a joy to be a part of a team with you. And just to, as we work, we sometimes focus just on what is going on at our church, but just to let you know some exciting things are happening in the churches, uh, the Wesleyan churches and the, the surrounding area. And it's exciting to see um, just some, some new churches that are planted, some churches that have been seemingly dormant for many years, take new life and uh, what God is doing, we, we give God glory for as I go around to different churches, I think it's, it's encouraging just to see that we are part of a team, that the Western Church has churches in Fillmore and Cuba and Rushford and Olean and Wellsville and Buffalo and Jamestown, and, and we are working in very urban areas and, and uh, the west side of Buffalo and a lot of suburban areas with the, the surrounding areas around Buffalo, but also a lot of urban areas, churches in Forestville and East Leon and places I'd never heard of before coming here as superintendent, but to see the kingdom of God, not only being proclaimed, but being lived out in these churches. The district works to, um, to partner these, these churches together by, by the pastors getting together. We get together almost monthly um, to, to do leadership training, to encourage each other, build each other up, and to really um, support one another. We also are planting churches. We talked about the Home City Wesleyan Church last time I was here. They are continuing to meet in, in Chictawaga now, and that seems to be where they are uh, developing a congregation in the outs- outskirts of Buffalo near the airport. And uh, Dr. David Shemenda is uh, building a core group. They had 60 in worship for Easter, and we are excited about God's blessings on, on them. And there are also other churches that are um, really either praying about planting a church or a group has, uh, one group from the Fillmore Church has gone to to start a ministry uh, to young adults in the South Buffalo area. And actually this, this month we'll start working with uh, a weekly midweek service, just a Bible study in the Orchard Park area. We also are doing partnerships between churches as we uh, encourage churches to pray for each other, to, to support each other. Uh, I know this church has been a partner with many of the other churches in our district just as different needs are discovered, resources that this church has or people that this church, church can send to help uh, the different works. I was even talking between services with a young man that's a college student, Jesse, part of the praise team in the early services, a uh, Native American from South Dakota and, and is wanting to help out some with uh, our Native American church and uh, Cattaraugus Reservation. So it's great to see that kind of cooperation between churches. And also working with ministries that it's better to do together. Um, retreats, uh, family camps, uh, different ways in which the churches are, are bonding together to, to make more effective ministry. And so that is what the, the district is seeking to do. We're doing this because I believe, that, I believe in the church. I believe what the church has to offer our culture, our society, is not outdated. Now, I'm one that's almost 50 years old now. I had a birthday yesterday, and, and I'm, I'm realizing I'm in this older generation. But we, we come to the point where we realize the church is not going to become outdated. It is something that was started 2,000 years ago. And Jesus has said will continue to prevail until he comes back. And so we have, I believe in the church. I believe in the church because it has it presented scriptural truth to me 
since I was born, and I've based my life, tried to base everything I do on this truth with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the church introduced me to God and taught me about the Holy Spirit. And I find that power to live the life that that the Bible teaches within the community of believers that is the church. And so as we gather this morning, this may be your first time in church. We we need to be aware some some people are here that may not be used to church. Or many of you have been in church, as I have, almost every Sunday of your life. But it's a sacred privilege as I come before you to preach the Word of God. To expound on this passage of Scripture that was read earlier from Matthew 6. And not just to say what I think about this passage, but to pray that the Holy Spirit would use my words to change your lives and my life. That if we live by these teachings that Scripture presents, we will have life as God created us to have. So before I begin, let me ask you to join me in praying. Father, as I preach the message you've laid on my heart to preach today, give me the words to say, the strength and passion with which to say them. And I pray that you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, to understand the scripture, to apply it to our lives, and to live even in ways we haven't imagined before today, obedient to this truth. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Passage that was read earlier from Matthew chapter 6 gave Jesus' teaching really to a congregation, a group of people that he was saying, Why are you worried about so many things? The passage I want to focus on in verse 33 of that, where Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we hear someone say to us, don't worry, that's not very helpful. Someone can just come to us in, in our anxiety, and especially if we're stressed out already, someone coming beside us saying, don't worry about that, can often be annoying, not only unhelpful. But Jesus doesn't just come to us and say, don't worry. He tells us why we shouldn't worry, because God is going to take care of you, because God is able to provide for all the things that you are worried about. And if you trust in his ability, you'll realize that is his his promise. That is his responsibility to take care of us is the thing that he has said he will do. So don't worry. But Jesus not only tells us why we shouldn't worry, he also tells us what we should do instead of worrying. Because worrying can't do anything. It doesn't add a day to our lives, as he says. But he says we ought to be seeking first the kingdom of God, that we ought to be seeking first his righteousness in our lives, that if we will do that, God is going to provide for us. 
In a sense, we are releasing all the things that are, we're worried about to take care of ourselves. What we'll eat, what we'll wear, where we'll live, what we'll do after college, what we're gonna, how we're going to pay our bills. All the different decisions that you worry about, that you're anxious about. If we release those to God and say, God, you're going to have to take care of that. And I believe that you can. I believe that you will. But I'm going to do that which you've asked me to do. I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If you look at this idea of seeking after God, I found it central through, through the different parts of Scripture. Is it comes out again and again. The Old Testament says if you seek him with all your heart, he will be found by you. One of my favorite passages of Scripture dealing with renewal and revival is from 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, their evil ways. Then God says, I will hear your prayer. I'll heal your land. I'll bring about that renewal that you desperately need. I think even when we look to the Psalms, we see David writing something that sounds very similar from Psalm 37, verse 4, when David writes, take delight in the Lord... And he will give you the desires of your heart. For to seek something first, to seek it with all your heart, is to want that thing more than you want anything else. And when David says, take delight in the Lord, want the things of God, desire God more than you want anything, then he will provide for you, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Some of us miss that first part and we look at a, a passage like this scripture and we think, well, well, God's just going to give me anything I want. He promised to in the scripture. David, who, who wrote this, of all people, knows that sometimes it's not best to get the desires of our heart. One of the things that really tripped David up as a king was the lusting after a woman that was someone else's wife. And he was king, he could have whatever he wanted, he could do whatever he wanted to do. But that messed up his, not only his reign, but his, his family, his relationships. The baby conceived and that was, died. And so we see that David is not here saying, God's going to give you whatever you want. But he says, if we will understand this principle of seeking after the things of God, if we will delight in the things of God, if we'll want the things of God more than we want the things of ourselves, the things of the flesh, then God is going to come and provide more than we could ask or imagine. God is going to do in us more than we could do for ourselves. When I think about prayer... Prayer is not about us coming to God and telling God something he doesn't know. It's not about us trying to convince God to do something for us that God doesn't want to do. It's not about us earning his favor. But prayer in its essence is us revealing to God our desires. And when you pray, we say to God, this is what's on my heart. This is my heart's desire. Sometimes in that prayer, and I think this is the way it should work, we realize that our desires are not the same as God's desires. 
And in that process, I think we, we ought to be humble and say, God, change my heart. Make me want the things of God. Make, help me to delight in the Lord. Help me to seek first your kingdom so that our prayers reveal God's heart. Therefore, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray and he gave the Lord's prayer, which we said earlier, it wasn't so much that he was saying, say these words and you'll have mastered the the art of praying. And if you say these once a week or even every morning, then you've you've got praying down. More, Jesus was saying, this is what you should desire. This is what, if you had the opportunity to ask God anything, this is what to ask for. And so we see that his prayer, it starts with worship, adoring God. You're in heaven. Your name is, is holy above all names. But then the first thing that we ask is may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we may focus too much on the giving me my daily bread or cake or whatever we want and more than we need. And we may focus a lot even on forgive me. I've messed up. I need your forgiveness. And it's not that we shouldn't pray that. But we ought to look to the Lord and say, God, my first heart's desire is that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. When we hear talk of the kingdom of God, we we may in our minds somehow think of some old English king and, and reign of a political or geographical kingdom. But what God is talking about is much more our hearts submitting to the rule and reign of Christ as our king. That we would would acknowledge that He is our Lord and we would would submit ourselves into His reign. And let him be the Lord of our lives and therefore we are a part of the kingdom. As we trust in him, faith in him, we are part of the kingdom of God. And as we, as we seek that kingdom in our lives, it is, it is daily to teach us what it is that God is calling us to do. It is daily to teach us what it means to submit to his rule in, in our lives. And let that motivation, let that desire affect everything we do. When our delight is in in God, we pray, God's kingdom come. We focus our attention away from ourselves. We're seeking for God to change our lives and to change our community. In truth, we cannot follow God's rule without the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own. If we try to make it our, our, just to look like we are and pretend like we're doing everything but, but haven't changed our heart's desire, then we've just become hypocrites. We've become whitewashed on the outside but still hollow or rotten on the inside. I think this is what the world has come to despise about religion. That we're outside trying to say this is what we've got together but we haven't changed the inside. But Jesus says change that heart. Focus more on that heart's desire. Focus more on that which you seek most. And then day by day, he will change who you become. For we are to seek first the kingdom of God. The issue of submitting, of seeking his righteousness. 
is, is also related to that. First of all, we realize that as, as believers, our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. No matter how many years you've been a believer, no matter how good you've become at, at following Christ, we still mess up. We still are dependent upon the righteousness of Christ. But when Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, he is also calling us to live that life. For that is the life that, that, that God designed for us. It's not, it's not so that we can earn God's favor, so that we can be redeemed. That is through the blood of Jesus only. But it is that we would live the life that God intended. It is in the Lord's prayer as he prayed, thy kingdom come, it is thy will be done is that God's will would be done in my life, that we would surrender our life to, to his will. Romans 8, I've been reading through that in my daily devotions recently, and it just continues to affirm that, that we are in a battle. When Paul teaches there that there is the flesh that is, that is fighting for control or fighting to lead, and then the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the flesh is wanting the things that, that will satisfy me. It's the, the, the lust of the eye, is greed, it's selfishness. It's, it's the things that will build me up regardless of what it does to anyone else. It'll build up the things that I'm a part of, but it doesn't really care about the things of God. The, the Spirit of God is also in us. And in Romans 8 it says, if you belong to Christ, then the Spirit is in you. And so that belonging to Christ is dealing with the, the kingship issue. Have you surrendered to the authority of Christ? If you belong to Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit within you. And then the passage is saying, let the Spirit put to death the things of the flesh. Let the Spirit reign in your life. Let the Spirit guide you in everything you do and everything you say. Be submissive to the Holy Spirit. We don't always know exactly what, what the Spirit wants us to do 20 years from now or even 10, 20 days from now, but the Spirit guides us today? And are you doing all that God has called us to do today? We often wrestle with this issue. Am I going to follow the flesh or am I going to follow the spirit? Jesus dealt with this himself when he walked on the earth. And we see it most poignantly in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was arrested and crucified. When God had, had shown him I believe all that was going to happen, he, he, he knew it. He, he perceived the suffering that, was in, that laid ahead of him. And he prayed, God, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Father, if, if, if there's any way, I don't want to go through this. That was what his flesh wanted. He said, I don't want this. But then he said, not my will, but thy will be done. It is that victory of the Spirit the, the will of God over our own will, the spirit over the flesh that surrenders to what God wants in our lives daily. No matter what comes up, to say, God, I'm gonna do what you want me to do. No matter how difficult it may seem, no matter how, how countercultural it is, I'm gonna follow you. God's spirit sometimes leads us down a path that will satisfy our our deepest desire, but often comes in conflict with what we think is best for us. Sometimes it involves suffering, sacrifice, even death. But our hope is, our trust is, that in light of eternity, God's will is better than our will.
In Romans, Paul describes God's will as good, pleasing, and perfect. Essential in seeking God's righteousness is trusting that God will provide and following every step. As we've looked at that being our, our heart's desire to, to seek after God's kingdom, seek after his righteousness, we close with this point, that it is, it is about seeking the kingdom to come, to grow, to spread to those around. It's not just about us having a better life, but when we expose our heart to the heart of God, I think we will, one of the things I've been challenged by, I've been convicted by this year is a burden for those that don't know Christ. It's easy for the church just to be focused on the church working and, and operating, loving each other and, and having a great experience in worship and supporting each other and all that. But I believe God is calling us. We are the called out ones to go into the world and share the good news. It doesn't mean just going to Haiti. It's great that we send trips to other countries, but it can also be to your neighbor, to someone in your family to someone that God lays on your heart. And as your pursuit in life is not just about seeking your own things, but about seeking the things of God, I believe God will challenge you to be after those that do not know Christ and try to share the good news with them. That's not necessarily handing them tracts or beating them with a Bible and trying to get them to believe, but it's just praying for an opportunity to share. And when that opportunity shares, to be obedient. Uh, yesterday I had uh, two different events, one in the morning in Buffalo that um, was an Athletes in Action banquet and a football player, NFL football player, Jeff Saturday, was sharing his testimony. Jeff played football at Carolina, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and uh, had, was not living for the Lord, although he said his mother prayed for him daily, probably through the night, some nights when he wasn't home and he said he, he never, probably will never realize how many hours his mom spent praying for him, but he was living the wildlife through college. He is pretty successful at playing football. He's a center for the team and, and all conference and just getting better and better. And people started saying, you're going to make it to the pros. So he, he sort of let his studies go. He didn't interview for any you know, job other than he was counting on the NFL after college graduation. He got to the day, the, the day of draft for the NFL is two days, three rounds the first day, and for him it's four rounds the second day. And he was projected to go on the first day, and he was, he was a little cocky about all that was going to happen and, and uh, had a party planned and everything. And the first day went by, and his name wasn't called. And uh, so the, the Mel Kuyper, the ESPN, was talking about, well, he'll be the, the next one called on the, the second day of draft, and, and he's already in the second day, and his name was never called. He was just devastated. And he called his mother that night. and says, Mom, I don't know what's going on. And his mom had the boldness at this point to say, I know exactly what's going on. That God gave you a gift and you're not using it for him. And he's taking it away from you. And this, this big football player looking at his mom for consolation basically got you know, knocked down on his back right there. He said, what's going to happen here? And he started to wake him up. It wasn't immediately, but for the next year, he worked for an electric company in North Carolina, and, uh, and God started speaking into his life to certain people that he put in his life. And his heart started to open up, but he, he didn't commit to Christ. And he, he, a year later, he got signed on with the Indianapolis Colts, and 
And as he walked in the locker room, there's two or three people that started sharing Christ with him day after day. And he gave his heart to Jesus. And he says it wasn't, wasn't like an a instant he was a saint, but he said he, he was telling a room full of people yesterday, it's just one thing at a time. You know, first thing is I've got to change my language on the field. He's got to change this. He's got to not be afraid to be set apart was one of the things he said. But when I look at that story, his mom, who, number one, had been praying for him for years, was obedient to speak a difficult truth to him at a time when he needed to hear it. And God opened his eyes to his need. Another story I heard last night, I was at the athletics banquet here at the college, and, and I heard one of the baseball players, a senior baseball player, just sharing about, about how he was playing baseball. He, he wasn't a believer, but as he came this I think it's the second year here. One of the freshmen, he talked about that as the unlikeliest of people, started speaking into his life and just started sharing who Jesus was in such a real and very tangible way that he wanted to know this Christ personally. And he shared about how his life has changed since he gave his heart to Jesus. That is what God has called us to do. Seeking after the kingdom is not just that my life would be straight and and orderly, but that we would be obedient for the purpose of spreading the good news to all. That's where God's passion is. This year, God has been challenging me to pray that I, uh, sometimes I I was a pastor for 19 years down in North North Carolina, and, and it's easy for the gravity for a pastor to be towards just working with church people. And God challenged me to, to keep reaching outside the church, and, and I'm challenging you that. But as district superintendent, it's even more. I work with pastors and then maybe with church leaders. But God is saying, don't, don't lose that heart for those that don't know Jesus. So my daily prayers for Pastor Wes, that he will be passionate about someone in his life that doesn't know Jesus. And that this year he'll, he'll lead someone to Christ. But I want to challenge that for you. I think that's God's heart for you. That as you submit to the kingdom of God, if you put that first, that the kingdom would come, that we would be used as a part of that process to introduce Jesus to neighbors, to coworkers, to family members, to roommates, whoever it would be that God has put in your life. And so I want to pray for you and specifically praying that God will lay on your heart the lives of those that he wants you to pray for and be willing to speak to when his spirit prompts you to do that. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we, we want to say that we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness but show us what that means. And then let us continue to apply that, that decision that we made maybe years ago, maybe recently. That decision to let Jesus be our king and what that means. Lord, if there are areas in our life where we're struggling with following the will of God, let us be obedient. Let's just surrender right now and say, God, I'm gonna do what you call me to do in that struggle between my flesh and your spirit, thy will be done.
But I also pray that we would be so passionate about the things of God that we would see the people around us in light of eternity. And that their deepest need, if they are not believers, if they are not Christians, is that they would know Christ. And so help us to be diligent in praying for these people that are in our lives that don't know Jesus. And Lord, when we have an opportunity to show the love of Christ, to speak the truth of God, let us do it in a way that is obedient to your spirit and empowered by you to change lives of those around us. Lord, we love you. We trust you. And let everything we do be to lift you up. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.